August 3rd, 2000, uh, almost 20 years ago, I was in Colorado at an event called Nationwide Youth Roundup. Some of you may have been there before. And I don't quite remember, but this might have been my first trip to NYR. Uh, but I do remember that my best friends were there, Justin, Kyle, and Will. And the four of us spent many summers together growing up, together uh, going to um, Camp Imo and to NYR. And I don't quite remember what day it was, but I remember going to my dad, who was a preacher at the time. He, I grew up as a PK, and, and I told him that I wanted to get baptized. And I remember that we sat in a hammock on the side of a mountain and talked about baptism. He asked me why I wanted to be baptized, and he made sure I understood why I needed to be baptized. And he told me of the commitment that I would be making by, by being baptized. And I don't cr- quite remember what verses we read. I just... I just knew, I understood that I was a sinner and that Jesus came to die for for my sin. And if I believed in that truth, then I needed to repent and and be baptized. And so on Thursday, August 3rd, 2000, almost 12 years old, I I walked down the mountain with my dad and and with my friends and our youth group. And and I remember the bouncing bridge that you had to cross to get to the the beach, if if you can have a beach at at a pond. Um, I remember that the water was, was freezing cold, and I remember the, the moss and mud felt disgusting underneath my feet. And I remember going down into the water and coming back up and taking in a huge gasp of air because that water was really, really cold. And thinking back on it, I didn't fully understand everything about baptism, but that moment is forever etched in my mind. And I'm sure that you could share a similar story with very specific details about the day that you made the best decision ever. We've been in a series called I Love My Church. And we come today to the topic of baptism. And as Mark Moore begins, chapter 39 in Core 52, he says, Baptism is a big deal. All throughout the history of the church, baptism has been practiced in some form or fashion. In our own lives, in the lives of those we love, baptism is a memorable and significant marker in the life of faith of a believer. It is a blessing for us, as we'll see today, to be baptized. And I think one could say that it's just as much of a blessing and encouragement when we see others take that step in their own faith. It is a moment to be witnessed and and celebrated by the church. Yet, as good and important as baptism is, there is still much agreement about much disagreement about what it means or how we should do it or when we should do it. And over the past few months, there have been many conversations within our church about baptism and its purpose for us as believers. And while many of those conversations have been handled with grace and respect for for each other, there has been disagreement. There's been some confusion. There there have been feelings of of being deceived and feelings of, of frustration. So this morning, I want to do two things. First, I want to to apologize on behalf of of the leadership of of our church, which I'm a part. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you have felt deceived. That most definitely wasn't our intention, and I don't think that we realized how uh, what we were communicating about baptism might be cause for confusion. I'm sorry if you've been hurt by decisions that that have been made, and, and I can completely understand your frustration. But I hope that you can trust that that any decisions that were made were made out of a desire to be true to the beliefs that Ninth Street was founded upon, which, more importantly, is what we believe we find in Scripture. 
one thing that I've been reminded of over the past few months, not just uh, as it pertains to this topic, but with, with what is taking place in our world right now is the importance to communicate clearly. Words matter, and language is messy, and it's easy to be misunderstood, especially whenever we tend to communicate more through the screens in our pockets than we do in face-to-face conversation. And so the second thing that I want to do this morning is to communicate, communicate as clearly as possible what Night Street believes about the topic of baptism. I've been wrestling with this over the past few months. I knew um, that I would be preaching on this topic uh, for the past month or so. And in my own life, I've been reevaluating the words that I choose whenever I talk about baptism and what they communicate to those who are listening so that I can communicate the gospel as clearly as possible and not be a hindrance to the work of God in someone's life. As we begin this morning, I think it's very important that we pray, and so I'm going to ask that you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we come today thankful for who you are, thankful for the way that you love us, and so thankful for Jesus. Nothing that we do here makes sense without, without him, without, what, without the things that he accomplished here on earth. And so, so we are thankful for that. God, we are thankful that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and we can rest in that this morning as well. God, as I uh, dig in today and, and share and, and communicate, help me to communicate clearly Help me to, to be humble and, and gracious in my approach. May we always have that attitude as we uh, maybe discuss some things that are a little bit more difficult, a little bit harder, or whenever we don't always agree on what those things might be. God, we love you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I think any discussion about baptism should start with scripture and the focus on on jesus and so that is where i want us to start today some might ask why should i be baptized i think the best answer to the question is simple because jesus was baptized john the baptist was baptizing people in the jordan river and jesus comes to him to be baptized and at first john is hesitant he says i'm the one who should be baptized by you But eventually he he agrees, and here's what it says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. When when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So much of Jesus' life is a pattern for us to follow, and, and this is no different. If that's all that you had to base your decision to be baptized on, you can never go wrong with doing what Jesus did. And so if it's good enough for Jesus, I think it's good enough for, for you and for me. But it's, not only is it an example for us to follow, but I think it, it gives us a glimpse of the blessings that we receive as a part of, of baptism. Now, before we dig into what we believe about baptism, I think we first have to begin with the foundation of the Gospels. What is it that... God is doing for us. What 
What is it that Christianity is, is all about? And we might point to a passage like John 3.16 or, or 1 Corinthians 15. But the good news of God is that God sent his one and only son, Jesus the Messiah, to save us. Jesus became one of us and taught us how to live. And then he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day according to scriptures and appeared to many witnesses. He then ascended into heaven and sent his spirits. And since then, Jesus has been enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords. But he is going to return. He is coming back to judge the living and the dead. But first, he invites everyone into his kingdom where, by the gospel of grace, we are forgiven, we are made blameless, and empowered for a new life in this world and the next. All humans are bankrupt sinners, and we have no way on our own to gain God's favor. But God freely offers salvation. God gives us a gift, and that gift is, is grace, unearned favor. And the Bible says that we are saved by grace. God takes away our sin and frees us from being a slave to sin and gives us eternal life through the work of Jesus on the cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us and demonstrates that through the free gift of salvation by his grace. And so we begin with God's work, what he does to accomplish our salvation. And we move now to our response. Salvation is, is free, yes, but it must be accepted. We must respond to the gospel. And so we respond by placing our faith in Jesus or believing in Jesus. And those two words, belief and faith, they come from the same Greek word in Scripture. And so we, so we build upon our first point. Salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. As our scripture is clear, we aren't saved by anything that we can do, only by what Jesus has done. We receive that salvation by placing our faith in, in Jesus. But I don't think that we can stop right there. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, says, You believe that there is a God? Good. Even the demons believe that and, and shudder. And so faith is more than, than something that just takes place in our minds. The Greek word for faith means something like loyalty or allegiance or, or surrender. 
And so it's not just a thought that we have, but, but faith must be expressed. We are to, to have a living faith. And so in Scripture, whenever someone commits to trust and follow Jesus, they express this faith by repenting from sin, confessing his name, and receiving baptism. And that brings us to the core verse of chapter 39 of Core 52. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 is, is the first of nine different conversion narratives that Luke records in the book of Acts. And the normative response to the gracious message of God's saving work in Christ involves faith, repentance, and baptism. And so that's where we are today, baptism. We want to look a little bit deeper into what biblical baptism looks like. Baptism is, is God's gift to us as a tangible and immersive way to express our faith in God. Much like communion is a, a tangible thing for us to experience. We, we take a piece of bread and we drink a cup of juice to, to be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made. In much the same way, baptism is this tangible experience that we have to express our faith in, in God. Many times we, we are, are using all, the, all five of our senses whenever we are, are baptized. And chapter 39 of Core 52 is, is a great introduction to baptism, and he covers a few different things that, that we won't touch on this morning, but it serves as a starting point for us to, to dig deeper. Now, you may notice this morning that I will say the word normative a lot in regards to baptism. The baptism is the normative method or the normative response or, or maybe the normative means. And I really like this adjective because it simply points to the fact that when we look at Scripture, what's normative is what we see most often or what was most common during that time. And so this morning, I want to look at five aspects of baptism along with the basis for why we believe what we believe. And so here we are with number one, the purpose of baptism. Baptism expresses faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. In the book, Hard Sayings of the Bible, Walter Kaiser summarizes how this matter was understood in biblical times. He says, The normal point of salvation for Christians in the early church was baptism. Even here, though, it is not a ritual itself or the water that saves us, but the commitment that one makes to Jesus as Lord. Salvation is, is a relationship. And so baptism in Christianity, just as a wedding in marriage, is simply the way of entering into that relationship. Just a few weeks ago, I got to perform my first, my first wedding. Um, and, and it was a blast for me to be able to do. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but when a man and woman have been together, you don't say that they are married until they have had a formal ceremony that solidifies their commitment to each other. The ceremony makes it official in the eyes of God and in front of their friends and family and in the eyes of, of the state. But as important as the ceremony is, the heart commitments, the, the love of the man and the woman in the ceremony are even more important. And so one minister puts it this way. Baptism solidifies our acceptance of God's grace and our new relationship with him. Baptism in the ceremony, baptism is the ceremony and God's forgiveness and our faith in Jesus are the reason for the ceremony. 
And so we can look again at Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 22.14-16. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. 1 Peter chapter 3, 20 through 21 says, To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Francis Chan is a popular author and preacher. And in the sermon on baptism, referencing 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he says this. Baptism does save you, but it's not the physical water taking the dirt off your body. It's the pledge of God that you are making at that time. It's the pledge to God for this good and clean conscience. Other translations say that it is an appeal to God for a clean and pure conscience. This is a calling out to God. See, your baptism was supposed to be that time where you pledge yourself to Jesus, and he uses the example of Noah's ark. He says, it's just like Noah's ark. When the wrath of God came, eight people were saved, and they were saved by climbing into the ark. That's the picture of baptism. Baptism is this idea that I am climbing into the ark that God has provided, and that ark is Jesus Christ. I am going inside of him. I am baptized into Christ, as Romans describes, and we're going into Christ, into his salvation, into his sacrifice, into everything that, and everything that it has done for us. And he continues, this is what saves you, and this is what baptism represents. And so, understand that God has prescribed in Scripture a method by which we confess to him and everyone around us that we are going into Jesus Christ. We have accepted everything about him and we are being baptized into him and we are climbing into the ark of the accomplished work of Jesus. Mark Moore, uh, in our chapter this week, recommended that we read Exodus 14 and 15. And it's for the same reason that Peter uses the story of Noah's ark to talk about baptism. God saves his chosen people from the Egyptians by leading them through the waters of the Red Sea onto dry land. And so we follow Jesus in baptism through the waters of death into a new creation. And we think that each of these passages makes baptism the normative method of expressing our faith to receive the forgiveness of sins. Number two, the focus of baptism. In baptism, we focus on the finished work of Christ. And again, I think this is an important aspect to follow up the purpose of baptism. Because whenever we say that baptism expresses faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, it can be misunderstood that we are saying something like baptism saves you. And in church terms, that, that is referred to as baptismal regeneration. But we are clear that neither the act of baptism or the waters of baptism is what saves you. As we mentioned earlier, we can only be saved by what Jesus has done. We are saved by the gospel. But without faith, there is no salvation. Baptism is, the only, is only effective because it is God's method for expressing our faith in Jesus. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 so, says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all 
children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. Colossians 2, verse 12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Acts 22, 16, again, says, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Baptism is about expressing faith in the name of Jesus. And again, the ceremony is, is important, but our faith in Jesus, our forgiveness and new life, through him are the reason for the ceremony. Number three, the repentance of baptism. Baptism is the pattern of dying to self and rising to new life. In the New Testament, the Greek word for repentance is metanoia, and it literally means to to have another mind or a, a change of mind. And Christian repentance is what happens when our faith in Christ causes us to turn away from sin. Repentance is very much at the heart of of Christian faith. And in Romans chapter 6, we have this beautiful passage from the Apostle Paul where he is correlating baptism to this idea of of repentance. Starting in verse 1, it says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so here in this church, there was this errant belief that, hey, maybe because uh, whenever we sin, we get God's grace. So uh, maybe if we sin more, we'll get more of God's grace. And of course, that's ridiculous. Paul says, you have died to sin. And baptismal immersion is a reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It symbolizes our death to sin and our renewal to new life. As I mentioned, I was baptized whenever I was 11 years old. And as an 11-year-old, my baptism wasn't this monumental moment in my life where I was giving up an old sinful way of life for a, for a new life in God. I, I sinned way more before I was ba- after I was baptized than before I was baptized. But what I love about Romans 6 is, is that the dying to self and rising to new life that we see displayed through baptism That becomes the pattern for the rest of our lives, the pattern that we are to follow on a daily basis. And so maybe you're like me, and there there weren't major things that you were repenting from in your baptism, but the visual and tangible experience of baptism helps us live lives of constant dying to self and rising to Christ, living a baptized life of repentance. Number four is the Holy Spirit of baptism. 
Baptism is normally the point at which we receive the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, the indwelling Holy Spirit is the distinguishing mark between Christians and non-Christians. And all throughout Scripture, we see this described in in a few different ways. Sometimes it says that you are baptized in the Spirit, or that the Spirit is poured out, or that we receive the promise of the Spirit, or we have the gift of the Spirit, or that the Spirit will come upon you. In Titus verse 3, or chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, it says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of His birth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 5 said, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. And so the normative description in the Bible is that baptism in water and baptism in the Spirit occur at the same time. Now, saying that, there are a few exceptions to the rule that we find in the book of Acts, where the Spirit comes before water baptism or, or, follows, or follows water baptism. What we see is these exceptions are, are kind of tied to extraordinary moments in the early church. One of those moments is, is whenever we see the first Samaritan converts in Acts chapter 8. Another one is Acts chapter 10 uh, with the c- conversion of, of Cornelius. And of course, he was the first Gentile conversion. But if we look at Acts chapter 19, we see a story where Paul encounters some men who were, who were followers of John the Baptist. And when Paul asks if they had received the Holy Spirit, they say that they had never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And so here's what he says in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 4. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. John baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. But somewhere along the way, they missed that. Maybe... um, Maybe some other disciple of, of John had, had been telling them that, or, or maybe they were just baptized into John as a part of his ministry, and, and then Jesus, Jesus came later, and they, uh, at that point, had not been around John anymore, and they just were unaware. And so verse 5 continues, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Again, this passage highlights that baptism is the normative point at which a person receives the Holy Spirit. Paul's solution to their incomplete understanding was to better understand Jesus and to be baptized into the name of Jesus. And the gospel is good news because it tells us that none of us are good enough or strong enough to do what Jesus asks But God promises that if we repent and surrender to him, surrender to Jesus, that God himself through the Holy Spirit will give us the strength and ability to trust and follow Jesus. Lastly, number five this morning is the commitment of baptism. Baptism is becoming a disciple who makes disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 say this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. So baptism is a commitment to, to discipleship. It's where we are committing ourselves, not just to a relationship with Jesus, uh, but also uh, there are more implications that we are committing ourselves to, to being a part of, of his church, where we, are, where we are discipled, where we grow in our faith, and where we can grow others in their faith as well. And so those who are already disciples are called to, to make more disciples, to go and to baptize and, and to teach. And so baptism is this inauguration into the life of discipleship. And so after you are baptized, the Great Commission becomes your commission. True conversion is like a two-sided coin of repentance and discipleship. One side is faith expressing itself by turning away from sin, and the other side is faith expressing itself by our commitment to trust and follow Jesus. Just as you can't have, one, you can't have a one-sided coin, we can't move forward toward towards a full commitment to one thing or one person without simultaneously turning away from the opposite, from that which pulls us in the opposite direction. There was a man who struggled with an addiction for years before coming to, to faith in, in Jesus, and he thought that, that if only he were baptized, this would stop his temptation. But of course, of course it didn't. And he said, I started craving my sinful addiction within hours after my baptism. And though he never returned to his sin, he couldn't stop feeling that there was something wrong with him because he still craved certain temptations. Is there something so filthy inside of him that, that not even Jesus could heal? And after months of, of struggle, he, he came to realize that though justification is a one-time event, that we are, are saved. Sanctification, this, this growth in Christ-likeness, is a lifelong process, and so he began to think about his, his baptism in a different way. His baptism was no longer just failed medicine, but a guarantee that Christ was with him. And so whenever we are baptized, we are committing ourselves to the path of, of discipleship, but we do well to remember that, that discipleship is, is a process, and it takes time, and that a repentance each and every day is a big part of that discipleship. And so the purpose of baptism is the forgiveness of sins, and the focus of baptism is the finished work of Jesus. And the repentance of baptism is daily dying to self and rising to new life in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit of baptism is normally received at baptism, and the commitment of baptism is becoming a disciple who makes disciples. We believe that the book of Acts clearly shows that, that baptism was the method given by God to express and place one's faith in Jesus Christ. And the baptism in the Bible was not something done after conversion, but, but how we express our faith for the forgiveness of sins and how we experience conversion. Not only do we believe this is biblical, but, but we also believe that this was the viewpoint of the early church in, in the period directly following the New Testament. Now, with everything that, that we've talked about so far this morning about baptism, maybe this next pack, paragraph is... Um, Maybe it's one of the most important things that we can, we can say. With everything that we believe at baptism, at the same time, we also believe that God can save anyone he chooses, however he chooses. God alone is sovereign. And we're not trying to put God in, in a box. It is not our position to say that, that a follower of Christ cannot be saved unless they have been properly baptized. That's not our job. 
God is always the one who grants salvation. And so God can save anyone he chooses, but we, as a church, are bound to teach and practice what we find to be biblical baptism. Now, is there more that we could say on this topic? Of course. But hopefully this is a clear picture of what Ninth Street believes about baptism. And for much of my study, I referenced a few books, and one of those was an e-book called Baptism, What We Believe the Bible Teach or What the Bible Teaches. And the authors sum up our beliefs quite nicely. Baptism as an expression of faith is for the remission of sins, and baptism is the normative means of entry into the life of discipleship. Thus, we uphold the normative biblical model, but we acknowledge that God looks at the heart and can mysteriously work in the lives of those who trust him, however he sees fit. So what do we do now? What do we do now? Maybe you have been amening every, every point of this sermon and you completely agree. Or maybe some of the things that you've heard this morning are things that you've not really thought about in regards to baptism or you aren't quite sure that, that your beliefs match up with our beliefs or you're pretty sure that there are a few things that, that you don't agree with. What do we do now? Well, might I suggest three things? First, we go back to God's word. We go back to God's word. We must always be students of scripture, students of the Bible, because we believe that God's word is our final authority. Ninth Street is a part of a movement of churches uh, called the Restoration Movement. And, and the Restoration Movement began in the early 19th century. And one of the guiding principles of the Restoration Movement has always been where the Bible speaks, we speak, and where the Bible is silent, we are silent. And so we want that to be true of us. God's word is our final authority. But if we allow our experience to dictate our theology or our interpretation of scripture, if we allow our culture or our traditions or our politics to dictate our theology or dictate how we interpret scripture, then we aren't being faithful to scripture. So we go back to God's word trying to be faithful to the meaning of the meaning of scripture. Secondly, we go back to God in prayer. We must always be in communication with God, asking him for, for wisdom, asking him for discernment, asking him for understanding, asking him for, for humility, asking him to, to help us interpret scripture well, to be good stewards of, of his word. And then finally, we go to each other in conversation. We go to each other in conversation. And I think if we're doing those first two things, then whenever we go to each other in conversation, then it's going to be filled with grace, and it's going to be filled with humility, and it's going to be filled with, with love. And as I think about these things, I think that um, with everything that's going on in our world today, that, that these three practices don't just apply to whenever we want to talk about baptism. But this is how we should pro approach a, a conversation about politics or a conversation about race. Any difficult conversation, we should go to God's word and we should go to God in prayer and then we come together in conversation with grace and humility. And I believe we must always have the mindset, you know what, I think that I'm right, but I could be wrong. Maybe this morning, whenever we ask the question, what what do we do now? Maybe your answer is to get baptized.
Maybe you are ready this morning and you want to, to make that happen. Maybe you've heard about baptism but never really fully understood how important it was. Or maybe you want to have a few conversations, uh, but you know you need to do this, and we would love to come alongside you to help you make that decision. If you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, again, I'm thankful for, for who you are and the way that you love us. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. It's only because of Jesus that we do the things that we do. It's only because of what he accomplished on the cross that we can enjoy the, the free gift of salvation that you give us. So we are thankful for that. God, as we move from here today and, and undoubtedly we'll have more conversations on this topic, help us to be grounded in your word. Help us to, to approach those conversations with love and grace and humility understanding and with discernment. May we honor you with how we approach each other through difficult conversation. Again, we are thankful for Jesus. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together this morning and, and worship Jesus because of what he has done for us. Let's sing.